Hi everyone, my name is Alex Soroka and I'm very proud to launch the very first episode of the Live for Tomorrow podcast. The Live for Tomorrow podcast is an extension of the Tomorrow Project brand, focused on building a community to inspire those who are struggling with anxiety and depression to fight to see tomorrow. This podcast will bring you conversations with guests who are passionate about mental health and suicide prevention. My hope is that our audience will be inspired to support our mission at Tomorrow Project. I hope you'll share these episodes with your friends and loved ones. And at the end of the day, our mission is to make a difference in the lives of people who might be struggling with some or many of the topics that will be discussed on each episode. It is important to let you all know that I'm not a licensed physician or therapist. And although this podcast might feature guests who are licensed professionals, please always consult a licensed professional if you are in need of immediate assistance. If you or someone you know is struggling emotionally or having a hard time, please visit 988lifeline.org for resources or just call 988. This number is available 24-7 and provides free and confidential support for people in distress. To kick off the first episode of our podcast, I was very excited to talk with Mike Idella. Mike is a leading performance coach who's been mentioned in Men's Health, GQ, Men's Journal, The Huffington Post, Muscle and Fitness, Gear Patrol, Ask Men, and more. He's one of the top coaches in America and has been coaching and guiding others for over 15 years. Mike's programs are for men who want to establish an enhanced, more familiar relationship with their mental, emotional, and physical health. He works with men on a one-to-one basis using a range of modalities to create personalized programs that help build confidence, self-esteem, and lead to a healthy, fulfilled life. Mike is also a lifetime athlete, having experience from collegiate football to Olympic weightlifting, competitive stand-up paddleboarding. He's run multiple 50-mile ultra marathons, hand-balancing, national-level strongman competitor, big mountain biking and skiing, partner acrobats, yoga, and much more. He recently set the Guinness World Record for most weight lifted by a Turkish getup in an hour. Mike has spent his life seeking and studying a state of awareness through introspection, wellness practices, and movement. On this episode, Mike and I cover some sensitive topics like vulnerability, confidence, gratitude, and more. I walked away from this conversation with a lot of great insights that I've already started to incorporate into my daily routine, and I hope after you listen, you'll feel just as fulfilled. So enough of me talking, let's get into the episode. Mike, thanks so much for joining the Live For Tomorrow podcast. Really excited to have you on. And um, I typically like to start these episodes by having our audience get to know you a little bit. So, um, you know, before we kind of get into some of the the topics I'd like to cover with you today, let's hear more about, you know, your upbringing, your childhood, just kind of what has made and shaped you into the man that you are today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me, Alex. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Uh, Let's see. I mean, big question. So I grew up in north of New York City. Um, I identify as an athlete my whole life. I've played every single sport that you can think of except for lacrosse, which I do regret now playing. But my mom always said I never met a ball I didn't like. Um, That athletic background led me into wanting to teach phys ed originally. Um, I used to do some substitute teaching. Uh, and then I, I realized that I really want to work with athletes and work in the strength and conditioning world. So I was fortunate enough that the New York Jets came to my college uh, when I was a junior and senior for training camp. And I interned with their strength and conditioning staff 
which they never had an intern before. And I remember the the head strength coach told me, Mike, we, you're not an intern, you're a coach. Go coach with Danny and Tomlinson how to do kettlebell swings. And so just like throw me right into the mix um, along with, you know, doing regular intern stuff of keeping things clean. But that was a great experience for me um, being so young to learn tr- about true professionalism uh, in that field. Uh, that after that ended and I graduated, I went out to California to work at a company called Athletes Performance um, as an intern as well. Um, now it's called Exos, but they're a huge NFL combine prep program where they train, you know, division one, two or three college football players to help them get bigger, stronger, faster, so they can be uh, drafted higher in the NFL draft. So uh, the the class that I was a part of was with J.J. Watt and Julio Jones. And so you're trying to help these guys run tenths of a second faster in their 40-yard dash. And so you develop a coaching eye of attention and that becomes really refined. And so that was a bunch of fun to do that for um, that season. Uh, and then I went back home to New York and uh, co-owned and managed a strength and conditioning facility. Uh, worked with a lot of um, high school athletes, college athletes, and general pop. So it's people like you and I right now. We're not getting paid to play sports, unfortunately. Uh, but it was amazing, um, really helping people, you know, inside of the gym. And, and what I found was I was always gravitating towards those conversations between the sets or I like to say like between the field house and the weight room as you're walking back in and your athletes or your clients are talking to you about maybe a struggle that they're having with their mindset or with their partner or with uh, at their work or in school, whatever it may be. Um, those were always the most rewarding to me. And so I wind up quitting that job, um, which for me at the time was really difficult. We were doing really well and expanding and I had kind of seen my life moving in a direction of being very successful on the outside. Um, but I really wanted to study more about these introspective and like holistic practices. <clears throat> and so I went on what I called an alternative graduate studies program where I traveled the world studying all things that make people happy and healthy in various different countries. Um, and then I came back to New York and studied yoga in New York City and lived in New York City and taught a lot of uh, personal coaching and, and some classes, some classes there. And then I moved out to Costa Rica, Vermont, California, and now I live in Colorado and, and I've been here the past five years uh, and I work as a performance coach, helping people become happier and healthier and uh, basically take their life from pretty good to absolutely amazing. So yeah, let's talk a little bit more about what you do, you know, daily working with um, you know, your clients as a performance coach and and what, what are some of the... Uh, the elements of that job and what are the interactions like with individuals that come to you? And, and like you said, maybe they're doing pretty well, um, but they really kind of want to optimize that last 10, 15%, if you will, of, of their mental health and their well-being, and, and take that kind of leap and close that gap. So um, tell our listeners a little bit more about uh, how, how you manage those clients. Yeah. I mean, the clients that I work with uh, identify and they're operating between 65 and 85% of what they perceive their absolute maximum potential could be. And so I have many different exercises and maps and models that help them close that gap. Uh, It comes down to their mindset, their internal dialogue, some friction points, what's stopping them from moving that way, a lack of clarity, 
um, struggles in their relationship and with themselves. It's, it's really individual to a lot of clients, but there's a lot of these main pillars that, that we work on. And so I make a lot of analogies to my strength and conditioning and exercise background. And so if you want to go to the gym and you want to get stronger, you understand that you have to do specific exercises and sets and reps for your body and your goals and the equipment that you have and the time you have, any injuries, etc. And so that's what I do with my clients now as a performance coach is see, okay, what are the goals that they have? Um, and if they're not clear of those goals, help them become clear on them and then you know, create the prescription uh, that's going to help them, you know, realize and achieve those goals. So one of the things that I know you and I have, have chatted about and, and, um, you know, and I've told you about myself is this struggle to be vulnerable as a, as a man. Um, and I think that it's something probably more men struggle with than would probably admit, or they just completely ignore it. So if you're approached with, uh, you know, working with a, um, an individual who expresses to you like, Hey, you know, I kind of struggle to be vulnerable and it, um, it impacts my relationship. It impacts, it impacts my friendships or my ability to, to work. Um, what are some of the conversations you might have with that person about what they could do to, to maybe be comfortable being more vulnerable? Yeah, great question. You know, vulnerability is so hard and that's what makes it so impactful because as you become more comfortable being vulnerable, you're able to reap all of the benefits that we want. And so it's, I think there's some quote that's like everything you want is on the other side of fear. And a lot of times the, we're scared of being vulnerable because of a perception that will come or that we think will come on the other side of that. And so, again, it depends on what level you're at with your vulnerability. Is it difficult for you to, you know, share maybe what you're interested in sexually, right? That's like one that's really difficult because it's a taboo topic. Um, it's not something that we just talk about all the time. There can be a lot of, you know, what I would say shoulds around that. We should have things figured out. We should understand all of these aspects of that particular part of our life versus it's difficult for me to be vulnerable with asking where I want to go for dinner because I don't want to upset someone else. A lot of like people pleasing. And so kind of seeing where your vulnerability sweet spot is and then, you know, again, just like exercising, like just progressing that a little bit. So you don't become overwhelmed and it becomes too much, but just giving you the, the right amount of challenge for the skill that you have. And in this case, all around vulnerability. So the, it's interesting that you mention it takes vulnerability to just simply say no or to, or to just say like, well, oh, I don't want to eat here or here's what I would prefer. So kind of um, peel back that layer a little bit when it when it comes to the people pleasing aspect of of life. I think I would consider myself very much in that bucket where I get myself kind of into more trouble um, or into more stressful situations because I don't want to say no. I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. At the end of the day, I end up hurting myself and probably the other person because maybe I'm not upfront and honest with them at that time. Um, even though in the back of my head, I know the whole I know all along like no, I don't want to do this. And I just push it. I just kick the can down the road, right? So um, when it comes to people pleasing, I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on on why we should just be upfront and how vulnerability is a part of that, and also what we can do to um, maybe improve. Maybe I would say maybe being more transparent with people instead of kind of shielding. Yeah. Well, it all comes down to our one of our most important basic human needs, which is our desire to feel connected with other people. And so we want to feel connected so badly that we will change 
ourselves and chameleon ourselves to project or put on a mask that we think the other person or people will enjoy. And that works to a certain extent. People enjoy that mask that you might put on. Um, but deep down internally, um, it doesn't feel good to yourself. And so you're losing personal integrity with that, which then over time makes it harder to listen and hear your own truths. If you're, say, pleasing other people or performing for other people for years, months, decades, then uh, after a while, it becomes hard to listen to what are my true internal wants, needs, or desires. And so, you know, it's, it's understanding the importance of vulnerability because we all want to be seen for who we are not want to be seen for who we want the other person to, to think that we are. But we can't expect them to know who we are if we never show them. And we can't expect to show them if we don't practice being vulnerable and see it as a strength. So in a way, we kind of lose, we, we kind of get confused about who we are when we're not ourselves for so long. And then we struggle to know like, oh, is this, is this really how I am? Or am I like, what's real, what's not real? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think a lot. I mean, I've worked with a lot of people that would resonate with that for sure. And um, they spend so much time externally watching other people and listening to other things outside of them, whether that's the news or TV or social media, that <clears throat> their brain is literally clouded with um, other people's opinions and it becomes really difficult to hear your own opinions. Yeah, it's a, that's a big, big struggle. So you brought it up. So let's, let's go there. Social media. Um, I have a, a love hate with social media. I think it's caused a lot of personal, um, issues with my life, whether it's not being grateful because I think I should have more than I have or being distracted. For instance, maybe in, even in a relationship is something personal to me, um, where I've, you know, been disrespectful to somebody I've been in a relationship with because of how I've acted on social media. And so there are good things about social media in terms of our ability to reach people with good and, you know, informing, you know, messages and keeps people connected who otherwise we may not be able to stay in touch. But I see it more being a much more negative um, part of society in our lives because I think we just have false representation of what things should be. We, there's always going to be, you know, something bigger, better, um, whether it's an athlete, someone stronger than you or better looking or more rich, whatever you, you might want to, whatever you're chasing after. So how do you manage your own presence on social media and how do you advise people you work with, um, on how they can best incorporate it into their lives so that they can reap the benefits of social media while not falling kind of victim to the, the negatives of social media? Yeah, I mean, a huge rabbit hole, right? This could be a whole podcast in itself, a whole series of podcasts. Um, and I, I personally think social media is going to be like cigarettes were in the 70s and 80s, where everyone uses them. And now if you see someone smoking a cigarette, it's like, I mean, at least my opinion's like, oh, that's gross. Like, so we know it's yeah. unhealthy and what it does. And so I imagine maybe my kids or grandkids you know, when they're, when they're my age, will think the same thing with social media. Like, wow, you are allowed to just like go in on the internet and just look at whatever you wanted. Like, it's like, it's so damaging to, to our mental health in a lot of ways. And the reason that it's, that it's so damaging is so easy. It's 
perceived easy to find those connections, right? And that's like mm. the root of what it is that we want. And these large companies spend billions of dollars working with pro-level scientists and psychologists to understand our deep-rooted desires and then use those social media as a gambling casino format to trip up our dopamine to keep us engaged in that way. And the problem with it is it does keep you engaged, but only at a surface level. And so you can't get those deep-rooted relationships. And so a lot of times you'll feel like, okay, but you'll feel like there's nothing, there's something more. You feel almost like an emptiness inside after you're done being on social media. Social media, And so the, the best way to negate that is to truly spend time understanding what are your individual, you know, um, values and morals and then what type of life do you really want to live and is social media aiding that life or is it hurting it you know i appreciate you sharing vulnerably um that you struggled in relationships with social media i also have in the past and what comes up with that is that we I mean i'm not trying to speak for you but speak for me and for a lot of people that i've talked with it's like we will have some type of struggle in our relationship we'll feel bad about ourselves There'll be someone maybe communicating with us on social media that makes us feel good about ourselves. And instead of having those internal practices to recognize why was I triggered by my partner? How can I personally work through that? And then how can I vulnerably communicate it back? It's like, oh, let me just get this quick, like uh, validation from someone else. And, you know, that could be social media, but it could also be buying, buying clothes. It, for some of my clients, it's work, right? They get so much validation from their bosses or their colleagues for staying after and grinding all night and answering emails all night that they like that dopamine. It makes them feel good about themselves and that they're producing something, but it's at the sacrifice of their family and their kids. And so if they're not you know, really strong on what are the most important things in their life and then the way that they structure that life around those important things, then there's going to be it's going to be easier to be at the whim of, you know, the easiest source of <clears throat> that dopamine fulfillment and that hormonal fulfillment, which a lot of times can be social media. It can also be Netflix or scrolling or porn or whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, uh, it's crazy. The way you described the, the social media validation thing, I would say that's exactly what I fell into. So there'd be, you know, conflict in my, my previous relationship and, instead of trying to solve that conflict, turning to Instagram for validation, um, you know, from external sources who, who don't really know me, don't know my relationship. Um, and as you put it, getting that quick hit, that quick little high of like, oh, that makes me feel better. And then never really addressing the true source of, of what was the actual conflict, um, which I think at the end of the day leads, leads to a breakdown in trust, which is something that I want to ask you about too, when it comes to establishing good trust with somebody, friends, trust with colleagues at work or, or bosses or um, your significant other, your partner, what do you think are some key elements to making sure that you, you, you have a good foundation for trust? And the reason I ask this question is because I often think sometimes we're willing to trust people if we have some sort of redundancy, like maybe we... We have, we have a way of keeping tabs on somebody, so we, we, we trust them, but we know if we don't think that they're at where we think they are, we can see their location or something like that. So in today's day and age, I think trust is sometimes undermined by 
the technology we have to maybe kind of keep track of of our friends or keep track of things in society instead of just truly being vulnerable to trust. Um, and that's something I've struggled with too, is, it, is, is to just trust other people. So how, what are your thoughts on trust and how do you think trust is best built between two people um, in, a, in a relationship or friendship, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know, trust is huge. It's almost, you can't have love without trust. So trust is like the king. Um, or the top, <laughs> one of yeah. the, you know, and um, and so the way you develop trust is by first being truthful with yourself and having personal integrity. And what I mean by that is that when you tell yourself that you're going to do something, following through with it. Because if you say this week I'm going to eat healthy, and then you don't, you're lying to yourself. Or if you say this week I'm going to limit my time on social media, and you don't, you're lying. And just like any type of friendship, if you told your friend I'll be over there at noon, and then you never show up. After a while, that's going to really damage your friendship. And so we don't think about it. Like we'll hurt ourselves so much more than we'll hurt other people. And then we'll be looking for that trust. So it really comes down to sticking to your word internally. And that will help you project that trust outside to the outer world. Um, I imagine a lot of people that struggle with trust struggle keeping the word to themselves. And so in some instances, that gets projected onto the community around them or, or their partner. But if you are working on that, which it's something that everyone's working on, no one has perfect integrity, uh, you know, my, myself included, it's, it's really difficult, but as long as it's a conscious practice, which uh, quick tangent on the word practice, you know, mm-hmm. if you say I'm going to do it versus I'm going to practice it, practice means you're mm-hmm. trying to improve. And so each time that you come back to it, you're trying to be better than the next time, which over time, again, leads to the, those large, you know, massive improvements. And so... Um, I'm always practicing things because I'm never perfect at them and I can never do them completely, but I am always improving. And I imagine a lot of us are, if we look back in our life um, to, you know, five years ago where we were maybe in relationship to how we are now. And so uh, to talk about trust though with someone else, it's communicating what it is that you want out of the relationship, being vulnerable to say, <clears throat> I struggle with trust. This thing happened to me in the past and now Maybe I really have a difficult time trusting where my partner is or where this person is. And it can come down to something called attachment styles, uh, which are form when we're very young as children. Um, and we're trying to attach to our you know, mother or father in a different way. And based on how they you know, give us love or don't give us love or react to us or treat us, we seek out those similar patterns as adults because we're comfortable with those types of relationships. And so um, the main ones are either anxious, attached, um, avoidant, or you're secure. And so anxious would mean you're constantly worried about the other person and what they're thinking and um, trying to call them all the time or check their location. Um, And that was usually likely formed by a parent who was either like really engaged with you and then really pulled back and really engaged and really pulled back. And so you kind of seek that out uh, subconsciously as an adult. And then there's avoidant attachment which is what it sounds like where you're more of like i don't care like whatever you can go do whatever you want just gonna avoid conflict and not think about it just try and block that off um which again usually stem from a parent who wasn't engaging with you as much so you were left alone um and then there's secure which is you know i'm secure in myself i'm secure with my partner what they want and i trust that what they tell me is the truth 
And so it all comes down to a long-winded answer of saying communication, right? And vulnerability, being able to know those things about yourself, have a practice of working through them, seeing when they come up in real time, and then communicating that out to the to your partner or your friends or colleagues or whoever. One thing uh, when you and I have talked in the past that uh, you had mentioned when it, in relationships, and not to harp too much on relationships, but um, when you have two people who maybe communicate in different ways, uh, sometimes, you know, I think maybe not to stereotype men, but we're maybe more willing to, or, or we want to fix a problem then and there, um, or we may be more reactive or, um, we may like quit back. Uh, whereas maybe females tend to take some more time. They want to process it. And you kind of have these, these two sort of communication styles that are in opposition, um, what do you think are tactics that maybe us as men who tend to be more aggressive and I want to find a solution immediately can do to maybe take that pause and be better listeners as opposed to being super reactionary and wanting to maybe dominate the, the, those situations and conversations? Yeah, I think the first thing to recognize is that the intention is, is great. We're trying to help in the ways that we think are important, but all communication comes down to what the other person understands and how they receive it. And so if I'm saying it in a way that makes sense to me, but it's not landing with my friend or my partner, then I'm not a great communicator. And so I need to understand, okay, what is it that that person needs from me in, that, in this moment? And how can I deliver that in the best way possible? And, and so it's communicating. Hey, do you want, would you like feedback on this? Can I share a thought that I have? Uh, do you want to focus on some solutions or do you just want me, or do you want me to listen? Even there, like it's, it's so patterned in us. Like I said, do you just want me to listen? Like mm -hmm. listening isn't as good as finding the solution. And so it's deep rooted, but it's like, it's catching it and continuing to again, practice it. Um, and if you can't, if you struggle to, to sit there and listen, maybe it sounds like complaining or whining or whatnot to you, then um, you could walk away, take a break, take a breather, say, hey, you know what, I really want to listen to this, but I just don't have the space for it in this exact moment. Let me go clear some space from my head so I can come back and show up as fully as I can for you in, that, in this time. Um, and it can even come down to you know, another issue I see a lot of the times is we expect our partners to be everything for us. So they're like mm -hmm. our romantic partners, our friends, our therapists, our just they're everything. And so it can be really overwhelming to come home after a day of work and, you know, maybe feel like you're getting dumped on with information or you're dumping information. And so it just requires both people to be able to, you know, communicate through that and say, hey, you know, I need to take some space for myself so I can show up better as a, as a better listener, or uh, do you have space for me to share something that's going on in my heart right now? I'm really struggling with X, Y, or Z. If you had, if somebody asked you, like I'm going to ask you now to define mental health, like what makes up an individual's mental health, how would you respond to that? What makes up my mental health? The perspective that you have about yourself and the world around you. Okay. So with that being said, what are the most critical components to how we form, how we think about ourselves and the world around us? Is it just, is it based upon the immediacy? Like if I have five friends and I see these people frequently, they're going to help shape how I, you know, or, or things in the environment I interact with because 
they're more frequent, they're going to shape those shape those thoughts. And then everyone else who's a little bit further removed has less and less of an impact on on our mental health. And if if that's true, that how would you break down if you could percentage, and I'm sure there's a lot of difference person to person, but how much of mental health comes from within versus comes from external sources, if that makes sense. Yeah. So collectively in that pool of mental health. You know, ideally the first thing that we want to, you know, work through is your mindset. So and what I mean by that is like, is it a fixed or a growth mindset? And a fixed mindset is I'm victim to the outside world. And so whether people how how people view me or how they look at me or um, different things like that, I'm I'm not in control of my own desires and my own connection to to myself versus a growth mindset, which is I have the autonomy to grow and create the life that I want, I desire the most. And so once you have the growth mindset and feel empowered to take ownership over your life, then we attack your motivation. And so is it internally focused or externally focused? Like, why do you want the things that you want? And that's asking that question, why is is what I spend a lot of my time doing. Why are you spending your time this way? What is it giving to you? Um, helping people really get to those deep-rooted things of, oh, I'm not really sure why I do that, but it doesn't make me feel good or it doesn't help me or, or whatnot. Um, let me try this different way. Yeah, and, and I know that we, something else that you and I have chatted about is when you have like your sphere of influence, let's call it people around you in your life and... Um, I'm sure it's common that you see people hang on to friends or relationships or coworkers or just, you know, people in their lives that are not really on the same page as them. And that could be because they've been lifelong friends and it's hard to detach yourself from, from friendships or, um, you know, situations that have just sort of been a part of your life for forever. But I know something that, that you'd mentioned again was if somebody's not aligned with what you're trying to accomplish with what's a priority in your life, or if they don't respond appropriately, um, when you come to them and you're, and you are being vulnerable or you are asking for help and people are like, Oh, like maybe two guys. Right. And guy one comes to their friend and says, Hey, you know, this is something I'm really struggling with. And, and that friend says, dude, this is weird. Like, like, don't, I don't want to talk about this. Leave me alone. Like, is that truly a friend? So, um, when it comes to forming friendships and kind of surrounding yourselves with an appropriate sphere of influence, it's going to help you achieve the best mental health and, and, and your goals in, in life. Uh, what are some, some things that you've seen observed and shared with others on how you can kind of best form that, that sphere? Yeah. You need to know what it is that you want, the life that like the kind of influence that you want around you and then communicating, call it in. And before you even think about adding anything else into your life or, you know, calling in these friends or systemizing the way that you spend your time or your day or organizing different things in your life, you need to eliminate the things that you, that you don't value and the thing and really put a hard line on that. I mean, I really like the memento mori Latin concept of like remembering that you're going to die and then working backwards from that. And so when I'm on my deathbed, am I going to be regretful of the night that I didn't go out to the bar with my buddies and just get hammered? Or am I going to be happy that I went to bed early and went to the bike park and like had this epic mountain biking day with some of my other friends? And so 
for me personally, it's going to be the latter option. And I had to, that's just based on my values. And so I think a great step for people that are listening, if you're not completely clear on the things that you value, then it's going to be really difficult because all of these other influences are going to try to come into your life um, and, and take your time, attention and, and energy. And so I like to break down um, values into like five categories um, based on the things that I'm currently doing and that I enjoy doing. And then everything outside of those five, I try as hard as I can to ruthlessly eliminate because I don't want to be spending time doing things I don't care about um, and that aren't of value to me. Uh, that being said, uh, with relationships, there's, there's compromise, right? There's some things that you know, it's, you don't always get exactly what you are. We need to compromise, but there's a line for how far you compromise. Like, um, for instance, if I'm with some friends and, uh, you know, I want to go to this like organic healthy restaurant and they really want to go to McDonald's. I'm just, I'm not going to compromise because I, I won't eat McDonald's. Like I would just, I won't put it in my body no matter what. And so after a while, if that's starting to become the thing and we're having to make a lot of those compromises, we're probably not going to be friends. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people. It just means that we have different values. Or if, <clears throat> you know, my friends just always want to, you know, sit around and watch movies uh, versus I really want to go outside and play sports with them. Um, you know, I can compromise here and there, but if, if I'm always compromising towards one end, um, it's going to be difficult. And I'd rather spend my time surrounding myself with people who have the similar values that I have. Have you, I, I think I know the answer to this, but have you ever gone to a movie alone or gone to dinner alone just by yourself? Uh, yeah, probably every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'm somebody who's never done that. So when it comes to being alone with yourself, um, I even struggle to be like here in my apartment alone without family guy on the TV or without music playing. Um, silence is hard. Um, and being alone in silence is probably like one of the most terrifying things for me. So, um, how do you manage that being alone? How have you become comfortable and developed that ability to be comfortable being alone? I, I would imagine that there are a lot of people who struggle similarly to myself and being alone. And I'm curious to know, um, how you've been able to, to work that into your life and why it's important. Yeah, it comes back to building the relationship with yourself. Right. And so the clearer you are on, on who you are and um, what it is that you want or, and desire, then you have the opportunity to communicate those and develop those deep relationships. And, you know, relationships is really all life is about relationship with ourselves, relationship with the space that we live in, relationship with other people, like relationships with the planet. Like that is that is life. So the better we are at relationships, the better we are at life. Um, and so developing the most important relationship, which is the one with ourselves, is of utmost priority if you want to have, you know, a healthier mindset or work on your mental health. And so it comes back to that challenge skills balance where, you know, you want to give yourself a challenge that requires all of the skill that you have. And so maybe if you've struggled to spend time alone in your apartment or out to dinner, a challenge would be way too hard. It's going on vacation by yourself. And so <laughs> that would be put you, you'd be really anxious in that space and that'd be too much challenge. But maybe going out for a walk around the block um, would be just enough challenge for the skill that you have. So you'll, be, you'll start to feel more successful. And then as you get comfortable with that, you can start adding in um, different aspects. But, you know, we don't want to demonize or 
even like talk down about ourselves on the things that we struggle with because then it makes it even that much harder to get going. It happens a lot in the gym with people who are out of shape. Rather than owning it and stepping into the gym and working on their health, they'll make jokes about them being overweight or out of shape and just continually, continually perpetuates you know, that the struggle that they're having. And so um, to answer your question, it's beyond important to, to focus on spending that time alone. Um, and it, it can be doing activities that you enjoy, right? You don't have to go off into the woods completely by yourself for, you know, four days, um, but you can start working towards, you know, that as a goal, um, especially that, that development with, with yourself. Therefore, you can have the life that you want. Very interesting. Um, so as, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, um, you know, the Tomorrow Project is really a community focused on mental health and suicide prevention. And that's why we're talking about the things we're talking about with you and all these things collectively contribute to our mental health. And, you know, before, before the show, we, um, you know, you had mentioned that there were, you know, that suicide prevention is, is something that's close to you in, in your life. So, um, I'd like to kind of switch gears and talk a little bit about that. And, um, tell me, and tell our listeners uh, why suicide prevention and mental health is so important uh, to you and, and why it's something that you've invested, you know, your life's work into now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a heavy topic. And so uh, depression, alcoholism and, and suicide have um, really affected my family and on many different levels. Uh, my grandfather died by suicide. I had a cousin who um, recently died by suicide, a good childhood friend uh, who also just recently died by suicide and uh, have a lot of, of friends who have struggled, struggled with depression and anxiety. Um, and I have myself struggled with um, some of these similar aspects. And so in my, my grandfather, um, he died by suicide when I was four um, and that really had a large effect on my mother and then that had a large effect on my relationship with my with my mother growing up. And so, you know, to, to some degree, she was, um, you know, very depressed. And then as I'm working to attach to her in these different ways, it then in, you know, informs in some instance the way I, you know, react and attach to the world now. And so there are um, a lot of emotions that go along with it. And it's something that that we don't talk about, that we don't really don't talk about a lot. So I'm really grateful to be on this podcast and be, um, you know, talking about, you know, mental health and suicide prevention more. I think it's something that because it gets so taboo, um, it just perpetuates and lead into more. Um, one of my friends <clears throat> out in Hawaii uh, does this great um, church kind of Christian, but also just for everyone, a porch group on a Monday nights. Uh, his name's Aaron Hoff. He runs an awesome organization out there, the Ultimate Hawaiian Trail Run, um, and this foundation for kids on the local island of uh, Kauai in Hawaii. And um, I, the whole reason that I'm saying all of that about him is on the porch on Monday nights, he has this thing where it's like, bring it to the light. Like whatever you're struggling with, whatever you've done, however dark and hairy and, you know, um, disgusted you might feel with yourself like you got to bring it out because if it doesn't come out it stays in and the more it stays in the more it eats you up and beats you down and that is essentially vulnerability right there and so finding a community a person a coach a therapist a mentor and a friend even a friend that you can talk to and share some of the things that you're 
either ashamed of or struggling with um, is it's a tremendous aspect, maybe the most important aspect to mental health. You know, statistically, men are, you know, more successful with suicide attempts, um, you know, attempt suicide more frequently. Why do you think that men struggle to be vulnerable, which, you know, obviously has a link if you're, you have a bunch of demons and you're, and you're not sharing this stuff, it's just going to compound itself over, over time and, um, and, you know, nothing's going to get better. But why do men, do you think, struggle with this, this more? Is it just our aggressive masculinity or we think it, we don't have to talk about these feelings and, and does being vulnerable do anything to reduce our sort of masculine nature, our, our strong kind of posture that we, that we try to carry as men or that society is, um, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm very much a, a supporter of, you know, being masculine and being, being a strong, powerful male. And I, and I, and I'm not trying to say that that's not something that we should be, but I do think we can be that and we can also be vulnerable. So I'm just curious as to your take on, on that situation. Yeah, I mean, I think the simplest way to understand it is just like gender norms, like gender identities, right? Like women typically are more communicative, men are more reserved, um, more of the like warrior type of archetype. And it, the, the definition of like healthy masculine is what really needs to change. Whereas being vulnerable is the hardest thing that men do, and sometimes so hard that they can't handle it anymore. And so I think like when we talk about strength, that is like the utmost expression of true strength is really allowing yourself to be vulnerable and even hold the container and the space for people to be vulnerable around you. Um, you know, an analogy that I'll use sometimes um, is like a storm versus a house. And I know I'm making generalizations here, but um, a lot of times if men will identify as being like the house, like nice and strong and solid, and then the, maybe a female in their life is the storm. And sometimes the storm's, you know, really big outside and it's blowing at the house. And a lot of times the men focus on trying to put out the storm and trying to like, you know, ease the storm or change it in a different direction versus just building a stronger house because there's nothing wrong with emoting. There's nothing wrong with you know, sharing things that's on your mind. It's actually really healthy to be able to do that. And a lot of us, you know, with the ways that we were raised, when we would emote and positive and negative, we would become dimmed. And uh, we would, you know, dim and then deal with whatever situation that we had to. And then it, it, over time, that dimming is, again, knocking our integrity down, not like quieting us, putting us into a smaller and smaller box that then we struggle to show up as the authentic, like, bright versions of ourselves. You know, there was a, the, tell you a quick story. I used to play basketball. I still play basketball. And um, I was in third grade, I think. And I, I would smile all the time on the court because I was so happy. And especially after I scored a basket, <laughs> I'll run down all smiley, like, you know, they're ready to play defense, having a good time. And my coach called me over and he was like, Mike, like, you can't smile. This is basketball. Like, get back on defense, put your game face on, and let's go. And after that, it's, like, so funny because I'd score and I'd run down, like, like <laughs> try not to smile and play. But, you know, it really conditioned me because I look up to my coach. I look up to that, that guy uh, or that man at that time. And so um, that had an effect with me later on where now, uh, you know, one of, my, one of my friends called it, like, my giggle. She's like, Mike, like, 
you got to get your giggle back. Like you're feeling kind of down, like get that, get that spark flowing again. And, you know, as men, we can think we need to be that like stoic, nothing bothers us. We don't show emotion. And there's times and a place for that, for sure. I mean, if you roll up to a fresh car, car accident, um, you know, you don't have time to just like cry and then, oh my God, I can't believe it. And, and freak out. Like you got to you got to take care of business. You got to get someone out. You got to save life. You got to move, um, you know, with, to help that situ that specific situation. But when it's available later on, you need to recover from that. Just like, you know, I think this is maybe going to another tangent on this, but like this whole idea of recovery is so under, underutilized and underthought of. We think that, you know, in our world of just ascension and constant growth and more and dopamine and more, 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 that there's no time for the recovery. So a lot of people will struggle with, you know, work burnout, physical burnout, which leads to injury, emotional burnout, which leads to, you know, breakup of, of a relationship. Um, and then the personal burnout, which, you know, is a lot of what your organization is helping to bring awareness to and, and help people with. Yeah. It's so, it's so crazy to, you know, you, you mentioned recovery and I, and I'm like, you know, I do stuff after I work out to, to try and recover and, you know, it's, it's almost like written into my programming, right? Like this is a recovery day and these are some recovery tactics, but I don't have any of that written into my, like the mental health side of my life. Like, you know, to just maybe sit and be alone or to journal, to do things that would maybe be mentally recovering to, to get stuff out of your like mind and onto paper or, um, and is that like, is that a common thing that you see is that people just don't have this, you know, they, on the, when it comes to the physical things, maybe they have they they build in recovery or they build in vacations to get away from work. Um, but when it comes to their mental health, they, they don't have any of these components factored into their life. Yeah. I like, again, I think it's just the way our society is built. Like if it's not productive now, then it's not valuable. And that's why a lot of people are dehydrated. A lot of them lack sleep. We're just driving ourselves into the ground. And it's just proven that that's not like a peak performance state. And, you know, think of your life as, as an athlete and even like an emotional athlete. And so an athlete will walk into their training facility and they'll know everything that they have to do. Like they'll know when they have to practice, what's happening at practice, what they have to eat, how they recover, what's going on in the, you know, the... Um, the training room, etc., And so it's all built out for them. But a lot of people treat their life as just game day, like wake up and it's on all the time. And then it breaks down. And then they figure out, oh, why did it break down? Not sure. More caffeine, more pills, more whatever. Keep going, drive harder, more. Like that David Goggins type of mentality, um, <laughs> which is really damaging a lot of times. Like if you look at a lot of those just stay hard, go hard, do more type of mentality, it's helpful to a certain instance and to a certain person. If you're sitting on the couch, not doing anything, that might be motivating to help you get up and get outside. But you can't use that same mentality in a relationship of just like, yeah. be vulnerable with me, tell me more, like, let's work on this. Like the heart and your spirit and your soul works at a whole different speed and pace that, you know, we really struggle to, a lot of people struggle to understand and work through. Yeah. How, um, have you ever had somebody come to you and, and express that they're, they're depressed or they're in a, in a, in a bad place, bad mental state? Oh yeah. 
Yeah. How, how do you respond to those, to those situations? And, and I asked that question because I often think, you know, we, you know, gyms have things like AEDs or we do CPR. We, we know how to maybe respond when somebody physically, something physically happens to somebody. Um, but I don't know if maybe we're prepared as a society to handle when somebody comes to us and they express something like, Hey, you know, mentally I'm not doing so well, or I've had some suicidal thoughts or I'm, I'm very depressed. So, um, I'd, I'd like you to kind of educate us on how, on those experiences in your life. Yeah. I think it, they're all different, right? Like those three that you just said are like, are very different circumstances. If someone comes up to me and says, I'm having suicidal thoughts, I really would help them get to a, a licensed professional, um, as fast as possible. And there's a lot of tact in order to do that. Like, um, one instance might be sharing some of my practices. So kind of gaining some vulnerability. If someone's coming up to me and sharing that <clears throat> most often they might value my opinion or, or look up to me to some degree. And so if I say, you know, have you ever tried talking to a therapist? Like I go to a therapist and it's really helpful for me. That might just give them the permission to allow themselves to go speak to someone, share that there, and then maybe gain some treatment. Um, if it's very immediate, um, if there's someone struggling with their mental health and they're maybe lacking confidence or self-esteem, um, then I can show up as, you know, depending in the context, like if it's a friend, I can show up as a friend. Um, if it's a client, I could show up, you know, as their coach, helping asking more, you know, probing questions of, of how they've been struggling with this, where it's been coming from, what are the times that maybe you have felt really confident and, and had a lot of self-esteem and then help them see, okay, well, this was a time in my life where I did have these things. Now I don't. Where's the missing link in there? And how can I incorporate some more of those things into my life now to, you know, really change that conversation so it becomes more of a motivating, um, motivating driveful force forward because we're really motivated by that. Have you ever struggled with confidence personally? Oh, yeah. Every yeah. day. <laughs> okay. So um, if you wouldn't mind, maybe um, you can you can gen generalize about um, confidence or if you have a specific example of maybe something you struggle with or maybe you can draw on um, you know, somebody you've worked with um, without kind of obviously you know, naming names and whatnot. But uh, tell us a little, about you, a little bit about your handling of confidence and maybe the ebbs and flows that that come with confidence yeah so i mean i have like i think a lot of people do confidence with my body the way it looks the way i sound the way like losing some of my hair like just a lot of different things and so um some of those i can't control and some of them i can and so i the ones that i can control i focus on those more um I've, if it's something with my body versus maybe how it looks, <clears throat> I draw attention to how it feels and what it can do. Um, I want a body that I say can really go. And if it doesn't show as much, that's okay with me. Like I'd rather be able to get on the ground and play with my friends or my kids or go for a hike than look like I can do that for external validation on the internet, but not actually be able to go and do those things in real life. That would be like devastating for me because my values aren't, you know, look like I am super fit. They're actually like enjoy quality time with my friends and family and truly take care of my health and wellness. So redefining that for me and reminding myself of my values um, helps me build more confidence. Um, and then the ultimate thing for confidence is action. And so taking action towards being the man or 
woman or person that it is that you want to be over time that starts to uh, you know kind of build a ton of momentum like rolling a ball downhill and before you know it you're starting to gain a lot more confidence uh, it's kind of the whole idea around <clears throat> i think it was like a navy admiral had the like the viral speech on making your bed and it's that simple thing where you make your bed, you gain confidence because it looks good. And then that goes to the next thing where you brush mm -hmm. your teeth, you get dressed, you maybe do a little workout, you know, all of those things compound. Um, and there's these small habits, but over time they lead to a lot, a lot larger, bigger habits if we have the patience and discipline to stick with them. Yeah, you know what? I actually made my bed this morning, and I hadn't for for a few days, um, but I was able to make it. And yeah, it is it is as small as as it is as small as a task as it is. Although sometimes getting everything you know throw pillows and stuff is a little overwhelming for me. But it it is it, it is very satisfying to like make your bed and be like, okay, and it's the first thing you do um, every single day. And I do remember that uh, that that little uh, video or speech. So um, I'll have to go back and watch that. When you're working with uh, groups of men uh, in a group setting, or you're working individually, what um, what are some of maybe the exercises that you work on, either one on one or in a group, that help facilitate maybe some of the the conversations or the or the the, the skill development, um, so that people can apply what they're learning when they're working with you to their to their daily lives. Essentially, I'm asking like, how do you how do you they manage your clients, but how do you work with your clients? Um, to put them on that pathway to, to you know, optimizing their mental health. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I first do it through, a, through an intake where I when I learn about their life on this holistic perspective, and so I ask them a lot of questions on their physical health, their emotional health, their mental health, their social health, environmental, intellectual, all of these different aspects of you know, say you're my client. What makes Alex Alex? And then from there, can look at okay, what specific markers can we tweak or forget like toggles on like a dj can we raise or lower mm -hmm. that are going to give you you know the most bang for your buck in, in terms of pushing you towards your goals and a lot of those are eliminating distractions eliminating things that you don't value and first coming up with the things that you do value and so i'll share you know five five of my values now um it may be helpful. You could definitely steal mine. They're, they're not even mine. I, I learned them from someone else. And so um, the first one is quality time with friends and family, um, health and wellness, uh, my business and the impact that it has on the world, um, flow experiences, peak experiences. Uh, flow state is a large part of positive psychology, which you know is a lot of what we're talking about now, like how to you know flourish. It's really the art of flourishing in your life. Um, and then the last one is learning. So am I learning new things? And so throughout my day, all of my activities can fit into those buckets. And throughout my life, all of those activities can fit into those buckets. And the, the flow experiences are like um, travel, or a, a sense of awe where I'm just like in a complete, you know, awful state. Um, <laughs> that kind of sounds weird. A-W-E, not like yeah. awful yeah. bad, awful right. good, like watching a sunrise or a sunset. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so I make sure that all of my days are fit in those, like all the activities that I do within my day fit into those five buckets. And if they don't, I eliminate them. And so a lot of people will tell me, oh, I really struggle, I don't have enough time in my life. And mm. I'll, we look at, okay, well, how do you spend your time? And maybe it's like, well, 
you know, I like pull out your phone. Let's look at your your um, screen time. Let's look at how much time you spend on your on the apps. Like, okay, you Instagram wasn't one of my five values. Like, Facebook wasn't one of my five values. Netflix wasn't one of my five. And so, some of my clients spend okay, I'm two hours a day on on Instagram, forty five minutes on Twitter. I watch two hours of TV at night. That's almost five hours a day doing things that you don't value. You eliminate that. That's twenty five hours during the work week you know, 30, 35 hours during the full week that you have to do the things that you want. So, okay, cool. We solve for time. Now it's not about time. What's the next thing? Uh, you know, I'm addicted to the phone. I've tried eliminating a mic, but I just can't not do it. Okay. Well, we need to put in, fill up some of these other aspects. Are you making sure that you're taking care of your sleep, your hydration, your movement, your mindfulness practices, quality time with your friends and family, your social sphere? Like, where are these different aspects? It's, you know, I've worked with some clients for, you know, many, many different years. Like this process doesn't take five minutes. It can take a long time because there's a lot of depth and a lot of, you know, like, like root finding to see where these things are coming from. And then a lot of practice needed in order to create new habits. If, if you've been engaging with the world in one way, now you're 35, 45 years old and you, you understand the changes, but it takes time to actually implement them. And, you know, our life isn't about the things that we know. It's about the things that we do. And I think that's a large problem, too, with social media is all of the information is out there. Like, you know, everyone knows how to be healthy for more or less. But the application of it is where the struggle comes in. And that's where coaching is really helpful because you have a plan, someone helping you be accountable to it and a lot of science backed maps and models and exercises that help push you in that direction. So you're not just searching on, you know, Google for, you know, what's the best mindfulness exercise. It's, you know, this is the best mindfulness exercise for you to improve your well-being by this much, by this date. Hmm, interesting. I would imagine that when you are eliminating things from your life, whether it's social media or limiting or, or eliminating, um, some things are probably easier than others, you know, cutting ties with friends, likely much more difficult than just cutting back, you know, 50% of your time spent on Instagram. How do you sort of approach those conversations or, or kind of help people understand the, maybe the speed at which they, they eliminate distractions in their life? Um, maybe some people are more, have a, have a better ability to kind of go go cold turkey with it. Like, you know what? Instagram's not a priority for me. And they just delete the app and deactivate their account like the next day or in that moment. And it's gone. Whereas somebody like myself, like that would be a big struggle. So maybe for me, it's more about weaning my time spent on Instagram up into a point where, you know, I feel comfortable and then maybe someday I'm able to get rid of it. So I'm sure there's a lot of people with that on that spectrum. Uh, how do you kind of help people balance, um, that process? Yeah. I mean, I want to be really clear with this too. I'm on Instagram. Like I, a lot of my <laughs> business is on Instagram. So I, yeah. the way I engage with Instagram is what change is what's changing and what changed. Okay. And so it's the same way that I deal with email, right? I can constantly be walking around in the grocery store on my phone, on Instagram, sitting on the toilet on Instagram, like just always with my phone. But what that does is it drains me of my ability to maintain my most important resource, which is my attention. And mm -hmm. if there's one thing to think about, it's the ability to pay attention to your life. And that's something that the phone is like such a direct 
competitor against. And the more you struggle to maintain or the more you give attention to the phone, the more it becomes difficult to give attention to a person or a partner or food, right? That's all mindfulness is about. It's like how engaged and attentive can you be in that moment? And all of those things are like what we think about at the end of our life that we want more of, like the deep enriching relationships, the ability to focus on the things that we've cared about the most. And so, you know, in this, you know, economic period where it might feel like we're in a recession or if things are really struggle, like really struggling, building your capacity to pay attention is going to become a superpower because so many people are focused on their phone and distractions that it's going to help really set you apart from, you know, everyone and you know the, your competitors in, in your business on you know how engaged you are with the work that you're doing your clients your boss etc so i know that uh you're the type of person um that thinks about what they're grateful for routinely um likely daily so what's your relationship like with with being grateful and gratitude and, and how do you share that with other people and how do you reflect on, on being grateful, um, on a daily basis in your life? Yeah. So I, I uh, appreciate bringing up gratitude. It's a pillar, um, in my health and wellness and mindfulness practice, just like drinking water and brushing my teeth. Like I've been drinking water throughout this podcast, right? Brush my teeth this morning. I floss every day. A lot of people do these normal things. Um, but a gratitude practice isn't something that unfortunately is, is normal for a lot of people. But gratitude's been proven by the VIA Institute of Character as the number one way to increase your overall level of well-being. And so if I could, if we were playing you know, Madden, like when I used to play video games back in college and I could give you like speed or strength or agility. If, I, if you were a person and I could give you like more love or more hope or more courage or more gratitude, like which one of those would be of most value to you in terms of your mental health? And gratitude was proven by the scientific study to be like hands down the number one indicator of the way that you can feel better about your life. like. Truly feeling grateful improves your life tenfold more than anything else. Actually, it's not tenfold. It's fourfold. Like it was actually studied fourfold okay. more than anything else. And so um, the best way to that I found, at least to work on gratitude, is exercise called the four W's. Um, this is you write down what went well and why throughout your day. Um, I usually do it in the evening and I do three things, three things that went well and then why those things went well. And the why is critical because it helps you take ownership over the positive things that are going on in your life. This is going to breed confidence because you're starting to reflect back to yourself. Oh, my podcast with Alex went well because I prepared for it. I took the time to set things up. I made sure I got a, some movement in before I got a meal so I could be fully present a good night's rest. Like that's why it went well versus oh, my podcast. Like I'm grateful for the podcast or I'm grateful for my job or I'm grateful for the sun. Like it just, it hits so much deeper and we need things to hit us deeper on our inside. Like we need to have that ability to intrinsically let things hit deep because extrinsically there are so many things that we're allowing us to hit deep. Like this terrible news thing happened here and this genocide over here and this war over there. Like we're letting all those things hit deep, but we don't allow our own like 
things that we're truly grateful for hit deep, it's, it's not an even fight. And so the practice is eliminating the things that we don't need to, you know, that aren't important to us and then really focusing on the things that are. And so I highly encourage people three things that you're grateful for, why you're grateful for them every day. And you can do, you know, what James Clear, author of Atomic Habits calls habit stacking. So you do, when you're trying to learn a new habit, you put it right after habits you already have. And so brush your teeth, three things you're grateful for, whatever else you got to do to get ready for bed. Okay. And how do you, there's, there's sharing, there's, there's sharing it with yourself gratitude and being grateful and recognizing that and that, you know, right, let's say writing that stuff down every single day. How do you show other people you're grateful maybe for them or the impact they've had on their life or, you know, rather if it's something you, you write down, like, Oh, I'm grateful for, um, you know, my good friend, Carlos, for instance, who's one of my friends and I write that down, but what's a, what's the process been like for you when you want to directly connect with that individual and express that gratitude to them? It's phenomenal. Like who wouldn't want to receive a phone call from a friend telling them that, that how grateful for they are for their friendship. It's like the best part of the day. It's a two-way street. They feel great and you feel great for sharing it as well. Um, a lot of times in my men's group, we talk about what it means to be a good man. And I ask them, who's the best man that you personally know in your life? And they all write down, you know, John Doe. And then I say, okay, Text John Doe right now that you that you want to have a phone call with him, that you'd like to have a conversation with him. And they all text their John Doe's, hey man, I'd love to tell you something. Like, are you free later on to talk about it? And then they share, hey, I was in this group, I'm working on my mental health, I'm working on, you know, performing in my life at the highest level possible. My coach asked me who the best man that I know is, and I said you. And so I just wanted to share that with you. You're smiling over there. Like, you know, it, it's a good thing. There's literally nothing <laughs> bad about it. If yeah. the person on the other line says, man, you're so soft. You're a blank, like blah, blah, blah. You can say, all right, man, no problem. Like, I just wanted to share that with you. And now you have a lot more understanding of who that person is. And you're probably not going to want to spend time with them as much. And I doubt that would happen if you do think that's the best man in your life. But even with just someone that you want to form a deeper relationship with. You know, if you put yourself out there, um, which I think, of course, takes a lot of courage to do, mm -hmm. is one of the strongest things that we can do as men is really put ourselves out there, or as Theodore Roosevelt will say, like, get in the arena. Mm -hmm. um, that's where all the, all the credit goes to the man that's actually doing the work and trying, then um, it always works out really well. Well, as we kind of uh, wrap up here, uh I just wanted to kind of give you, you know, open-ended um, opportunity to just uh, share with our, our listeners. If you had one kind of, if somebody was interested, you know, they listened to this podcast or they've been kind of motivated or or something else in their 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 life has maybe lit the light bulb to say, you know what, I'm going to start working on my mental health the same way I work on, you know, my clean and jerk, for instance. Um, what would be a first good step for somebody who's, who's now become engaged and wants to kind of take that journey to optimizing their mental health? What's, some, what's one or two things that they can do um, up front to, to start that journey? Gratitude. That's, that's definitely one you can do. But one that's, um, I don't usually share often is, is express that desire with other people and ask people that you're close with, hey, you know, I'd really love to work on my mental health. Um, 
what is it that like, do you ever work on your mental health have you ever read a book you ever work with a coach you ever listen to a podcast anything that you recommend um that will then you know you get to practice vulnerability you'll get to have someone else you know tell you something positive so they're gonna feel good about that and you have the capacity to then form a deeper relationship with that person um, that's really helpful and that can only that can only spiral and grow in a positive way um, and another one is and I talk about this a lot so I'm going to share it quick and then even maybe give one more is mm-hmm. eliminating a certain word from your life um, and this is the word is should right I should work on my mental health I should be stronger I should have a six-pack I should make more money I, like the shoulds they're endless and uh, a should is a gray word and it's made up based off other people's expectation of us the internet and social media is like a should minefield filled with them. And so all shoulds do is pull us farther away from ourselves and make it harder to listen to our own truths. And so we want to work on our mental health. We need to take ownership, right? We need to have that growth mindset. And so the way, one way we can take ownership is over our language. And if we never utter the word should and instead replace it with want or don't want or you can even use desire if it's like a little softer of a setting. Um, you immediately take ownership over your actions and then ownership over your life. And so that would be, I mean, that is a life changing practice. It's so simple. But mm-hmm. if you deal with any type of anxiety or any type of internal struggle, um, you know, reflect it and truly ask yourself, how much am I using that word should? And you'd be surprised. I mean, like people use it all the time. And uh, when you replace it and replace it with something else, it forces you to think, oh, what is it that I do want? Now, like, I should eat healthy versus I want to eat healthy. Like, it's, just those, it's all those tiny shifts that over time really lead to tremendous results for people. And especially in the mental health and, you know, I will say soulful world, which is, you know, another conversation, I think. Um, it's, we can't use the same type of, mentality that we can use to improve our clean and jerk or improve our bottom line in business. It requires a softer, more tactful approach that we don't necessarily automatically see or feel those results. And so it can be difficult to keep going, but the gratitude and the shooting are two that you will definitely feel results from um, right away. And then the last one that I would say would be getting out into nature, spending time, um, with your soul, which is we all, in my opinion, we all individually have souls and we're all connected to the spirit. Some people will call that God or the universe or energy. And so the more we can connect with ourselves, our own souls out in what's the most honest place in this entire planet, which is pure wilderness. And the reason I say that is, you know, a tree isn't going to lie to you. It's not going to try to deceive you. It's just going to grow towards the sun. Plants are just going to grow towards the sun. Um, animals are going to eat, sleep, pee, poop, whatever they have to do it. They're not going to think, well, I don't want this other deer to like think I'm weird. So I'm going to go over here and do it. Like they just do it. It's natural. And, yeah. you know, we're the only species that will go against our true nature and actually hurt ourselves in a lot of the, in a lot of different ways. And so the more time you spend in uh, surrounded by truth, the more time your own internal truth comes up. Um, I think uh, one way I've helped some people is through um, guiding and some wilderness guide, like some wilderness questing, where we spend time out on the land asking a lot of these questions. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I went through a quest of my own where I spent 
four days without any food, just water up in the mountains over 11, 13,000 feet in New Mexico, um, you know, for four days fasting with just a tent, you know, no phone, no book, no social media, no nothing, just a tent or not even a tent, a tarp and a sleeping bag and clothes and water uh, and, a, and a, you know, water filtration. And so all of that time alone out there, I had to really practice being alone with myself and doing certain rituals or ceremonies to deepen that relationship. And so, uh, you know, that's that's more of like a rite of passage. Um, I can uh, continue on this topic a little bit longer. It's like, um, you know, emotional maturity is what a lot of us are looking for. And we live in a, a you know, an adolescent society, which is a lot of like, me, 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 ego, the way I look, what I want right now. And so getting from, you know, that's like a real Southern, if you think of like a four directional chart, um, certain Native American cultures will use that as like a medicine wheel of way to orient um, emotional maturity through a human being. And so that's a lot of Southern energy. And the North is like your true purpose or your true North. Like what is your true meaning that you want to bring to the world? And the only way to get from the south to the north is to go through the west. And the west is that deep, dark, shadow, um, you know, difficult type of aspects of your psyche. And a lot of times we wanna skip that part because it's not pretty, it's uncomfortable, it hurts, it's, it hurts our ego. And so what we have is a lot of false north, a lot of people that have a ton of money, a lot of success, but don't feel um, like truly grounded in themselves and emotionally are living in a Southern way because they haven't gone through that West. And so one of the best ways I found to move through that West into the North is through a lot of nature-based soulful practices. And so if anyone's interested more in that, uh, a book I'd really love to recommend is called Soulcraft. Um, and you can even just Google, you know, nature-based soul guiding, um, and it'll help you, you know, be introduced to certain people um, that'll do that work. I'll do some of that work with a few of my clients that are interested in it, but I feel that's a, a huge way of taking mental health on a real grounded, like deep, deep level, um, you know, to the next level. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I, I want to thank you um, for, for being on the podcast. I, think that we've covered a lot of very, um, not like a, like a lot of subjects that I think a lot of people will relate well to. And also I think, um, you know, it's not easy to share, um, stuff, especially when it comes to suicide prevention and, um, and experiences that you've had personally. So I want to thank you for, um, for being vulnerable enough to, to talk about that in a public forum. Um, and, and just for, for your time and for, for everything that you provided on this podcast has been fantastic. I think people are really going to enjoy the episode. And if people are interested in finding, connecting with you, where uh, can they do that, whether that's social or your website? Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to hear from you from uh, my website. It's Mike dot, or excuse me, MikeIdella.com. Um, my Instagram is Mike.Idella. And yeah, I will always say, you know, please feel free to reach out. I know a lot of these topics can feel taboo or uncomfortable, but um, I'm truly here to help. And um, if you have any questions or anything that uh, you feel I may be able to be of service to you or your organization or your family with, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, I'd love to speak and hear from you. 
Well, thanks again. Look forward to, you know, staying in touch with you. And I think I've learned a lot myself and I know our listeners will. So thank you again for the time and, uh, really looking forward to, um, incorporating a lot of this stuff in my daily life. I think it's something that I need and a lot of others will need as well. So, um, thank you again so much. Yeah. If if I can ask you real quick, what is the thing that you want to incorporate the most? Um, I think for me, man, I'd love to just say everything equally. Um, I think the, the gratitude component is something that I, I know I'm grateful for a lot of people in my life and things in my life, but I don't think that those people are very aware of how much I value them and how grateful I am for them. And so, uh, whether it's, you know, an individual or, or just circumstances that I'm grateful for, I think that that's something that I, I often think about, but I think something you expressed to me offline, um, when we had talked previously is that's kind of the first step is to think about those things, but then putting them down on paper is, is truly where I think it, it makes, um, a more meaningful difference. So that I'm taking away from this is that starting today, maybe as soon as, as this podcast wraps, I will, um, I will start doing that and I will incorporate, um, you know, being grateful and gratitude into, into my daily routine. Like you said, like brushing your teeth so that I can kind of kick off my journey to improving myself. So, and I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you coming on. I'm grateful for, um, what you've shared, but that would be the, the one, I mean, all the others are, are right behind <laughs> gratitude for sure. Um, but that's definitely very important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It'll help you. I mean, writing a gratitude letter is, is phenomenal and sharing it. Um, I'm curious if you have all these people that you're really grateful for, if you're open to it, you know, call one out right now. Yeah. Um, so I have a a good friend that when you were talking about, Hey, who's somebody in your life that you would, um, write down, um, and you know, text, I don't want to send him a text while we were, while we were chatting. His name's Christian and, um, Christian came into my life just in the past year or so. He's a, a fellow content creator of mine and, um, I've been really inspired by his faith. Um, somebody who grew up kind of in a, in a rough, um, rough area on the West coast in California and has transformed his life, has a beautiful family, beautiful wife and kids, and, um, has always been a staple for me when it comes to my own faith and Christianity. And, uh, I'm grateful for him because, um, you know, he's been somebody that always answers me. doesn't matter, you know, if I'm a good or bad person, he's there for me. And, and so, you'll probably be getting a phone call in the next five, five to 10 minutes. So, um, there we go. yeah, it's powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I mean, phone calls like 10 times better than text message, but it's difficult. And yeah. I always tell people you can lead with that call. If you're calling Christian, Hey Christian, I know this might sound kind of weird. I actually don't have that much practice doing this, but, um, I just want to share something I'm grateful for about, about you. Like you just kind of set, set the scene and then it's like, oh, okay. Kind of take some pressure off of you, maybe feeling like you need to do it perfect the first time or, or any time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it is, it is amazing when you actually take time to think. And I think I run around so much that I'm, I'm, you know, so busy, right. I'm fall right in with the rest of society. I've got all this stuff going on and it really does have a detrimental effect on relationships and friendships and those types of things because they become so superficial. They become high and by, they become going out once in a while and doing something social, but never really truly devoting some actual attention and maybe conversation and just being present with, with people, um, or even just yourself. Um, 
So definitely a lot of things to think about incorporating the different tactics in, in my life. And it's a beautiful day out here in, in Chicago. So I'll have to get out with nature and maybe go for a little walk too, absent my phone, which would be difficult. It'd be a short walk today. Yeah. And I think that'd be great. Yeah. It's hard. So there's so many, we're introduced to so many people, right. In, in, our, in the world um, and in our sphere that we want to be go deep with, with all of them, but we literally can't. We also have other responsibilities. So that's where the eliminating, yeah. you know, becomes really difficult because you might have a ton of, you know, if we're giving him a score, like a ton of A connections, but like we have to focus on the ones that are A plus, like who are the people that we really, really, really want to invest into um, just because we don't have all the time in the world. And those are tough realizations. Yeah, no, that's very, very true. Um, well, again, I want to say thank you. Um, I'm sure that you will be a very welcome guest back. And there's a lot of other topics that just based off of today's conversation that we can um, do a whole podcast on, whether it's social media, gratitude, or, or um, a number of other topics. So um, look forward to having you back. Look forward to continuing to you know grow our, our friendship as well. And uh, just want to say thanks one more time for, for taking the time to be on the Live for Tomorrow podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Alex. Enjoy the walk. I will. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. If you would like to learn more about Tomorrow Project, please visit our website at tomorrowproject.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at tomorrowproject. Thank you for listening, and I hope everybody continues to live for tomorrow. We'll see you all next time.